So welcome to the Love Fly podcast, and today is my great pleasure to welcome Noel Phillips to the podcast episode. Welcome. Thank you very much for coming. Hi, nice to meet you. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. And the reason why I asked Noel, you were brilliant, getting straight back to me, was that a lot of the people in the Facebook, the Love Fly Facebook group, uh, follow your videos. And so they said, the thing is that you do is you kind of just normalize traveling. So, <laughs> so I, I think this would be a really great treat for people to, to actually hear what you've got to say, talking about, well, maybe talk about fear of flying and stuff. And, and why you're not bothered by aircraft things. That'd be quite interesting. So tell us a bit about yourself. Now, how did you get started doing what you do? You do it quite well now, haven't you? I have, yeah. So I um, started my first YouTube channel. Well, I started this YouTube channel in 2008 originally and didn't really do much with it for a few years. I just, it was just like a lot of people back then. Um, and in t- sort of 2013, I started making these sort of trip reports showing my travels around the world because I, I've been into aviation since I was like 11 years old. So as soon as I was old enough, I was getting on planes whenever I could just to be able to fly on planes because I just absolutely loved yeah. aircraft and aviation and anything to do with it. And the fact that you can just jump on a plane and just go anywhere in a few hours for me was just absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, when I was, as soon as I was old enough, I was flying on my own, doing some of these crazy trips just to be able to fly on as many planes as possible and tick off as many new aircraft types as I could. And that was my sort of hobby, really. And eventually youtube came along and i started making a few videos to put on youtube to sort of just show what it was like flying on the planes and eventually started making trip reports making them into an actual sort of formatted sort of um Mm. show effectively and it sort of just went from there if you're part of the point it just sort of took off from there really because um i ended up getting to the point where the youtube channel was getting like thousands of subscribers and I was struggling to keep up a job and be able to do my YouTube at the same time and in the end my job was getting in the way of my YouTube and that was you know which isn't really the way it should be I suppose but um, that's how it went and um, eventually I managed to go full-time like five years ago now in 2018 I went full-time which seems crazy I can't believe we're still doing this five years later but yeah here we are. Your self-funding your your work your trip videos yeah funds the ability to do more trip Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So it's like a win-win for me. So like I make the videos, they do well on YouTube and that allows me to buy more flights and be able to do more cool things. And obviously the more views the videos get, you know, the more, the more I fly, the more views I get and the more views I get, the more I can fly. And it, it just works really well for me as a aviation geek. It's um, just fantastic really. Yeah. So you worked out, a fault. so how did you work out what people wanted? Because you, you said you came, you sort of got into a format and how did you work that out? It's, it's, you know what, it, I'm still learning, to be honest. It changes so much. It's what I think initially what it was, was I was just making a few, the videos I was doing was a lot more boring. They were just kind of me just flying on a plane somewhere, um, not doing anything particularly exciting. It was through the course of my work. So I used to fly for work. So I'd fly around Europe and obviously people were watching, but not that many. And then I started doing more interesting things, more off the wall things, you know, like flying to New Zealand and back in three days, for instance, that was my first really viral video that made me think I could actually take this like as a, as a full-time thing. And yeah, that was that was it really. So those sorts of videos, I think, started to do well. 
and also doing some of the more sort of off the beaten track things like we see a lot of youtubers go out there and flying on lufthansa first class all the time or singapore airlines first class let's look how amazing this is not so many of them do the more off the beaten track places like just tiny towns in kazakhstan or across africa or something like that and for me that's where my like interest is is really there because there's nothing there that shows you what these places are like until you've actually been all i've got in my mind is just an image in my head of what i think it might be like and i like to be able to go and see these places and see just what it's like in real life and to do that you end up flying on some really cool planes as well which is a nice sort of win-win mm. on that side as well really oh i'll ask you about that I'm curious about aircraft you fly airlines you fly with stuff but so talk me through your process then because it literally sounds like as far as i can tell I, I watched a couple and i've also seen comments of people talk about you and one of the things that seems to stand out is that you just almost randomly pick places is it like that or do you have like a plan you know, it's not it's not entirely random. It's a lot of the time. So the, I'll give you an example. The next trip that I'm about, I'm about to set on a trip in two weeks' time, and that originally started as I got a cheap flight from the US to London, and then I got another cheap flight from Amsterdam back to um, South America. That they those sorts of just tied in nicely, and I was like, what can I do in between those trips? Mm. And then I thought, well, I had two choices on this one. I either went down to Africa and um, did something there, or I went across to Kazakhstan and did something there. I looked at Africa, for example, and I saw that maybe there's a couple of things I could do there that are interesting, but maybe not enough to warrant a two-week trip. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I thought if I try and patch together a couple of bits, I can head across to North Africa and do a bit there and then head across to Kazakhstan and fly on some old Antonovs over in Kazakhstan because they're flying there until the end of August, I think, at the minute. So I couldn't go and do that bit. And then hop back through South America and it just sort of all fell together. And it was all... Mm. This one's really been based on the cool flights, you know, looking at air, airports, what cool flights are going out of those airports. And, okay, you can go to this tiny town. I've never heard of it before, but let's book a flight to this tiny town out in the middle of Kazakhstan. Do that. On the way back, I'm coming back um, through Suriname in South America. Yeah. And I was like, how am I going to get... Like, Suriname is very difficult to get flights in and out of. It's not an easy destination. But there's like half a dozen flights a day. And some of them take you to North Brazil. And I'm like, okay, we can go to Brazil. What can we do from Brazil? And then there's some like cool places. Do you, do you see what I mean? So it sort of all sort of falls together. And I'm looking at stuff and thinking, this might work. This might not work. We've got a few flights just on LATAM Airlines in South America. They're not really going to be that interesting. People probably won't be interested in them. But oh, there's this really cool flight here that hops through about five different places. And that might be interesting to do. And it sort of all just falls together through that sort of way, really. So in the way, spend as much time sort of planning as you do sort of fabric. Most of it is planning. Yeah, most of it is planning. And um, I often say to people that my job really is more less of a YouTuber and more of like a full-time travel agent. And it's just like trying to find flights constantly. And just, yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm juggling constantly as well, looking at future trips and things. You know, I can slot this flight in here and I get tipped off on a Facebook group. There's an airline starting flights from this place. So oh, let's go and see if we can fly on them. And it's just juggling constantly trying to find how I can slot them together. I find that fascinating. It sounds quite enviable. It's a very outstanding partner. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen them for a while, but yes, I think they're very understandable. I one of the things that occurred is that you're zipping around all over the place, and you've got the aviation geek bit self confessed. But I wonder what's the sort the the driver or the why behind what you do. I don't. To be honest, I'm still not really sure. I just enjoy being able to fly. I mean, my priority is 
I get to fly and enjoy myself and fly on planes. That was always my biggest thing I enjoyed about having a job where I have traveled involved in it was the travel was the biggest part and flying on the planes. I didn't really care for the IT part and having to go and fix a computer when I got there. It was more, a, oh, we can fly on this airline or we can go via these three countries and make a really nice trip out of it. That was the bit I looked forward to. And I think the fact that I get to do this, I'm so lucky that I can actually do this as my job and just fly on planes. Making YouTube videos is also amazing because I get to see people come to me all the time telling me like how much their videos have, my videos have impacted them which is something I never set out to do in the first place it's not something I ever actually thought I was doing I just thought it's me asking about making videos and being daft on camera never really thought that actually there's people out there that these videos are helping and when you start seeing comments like that you start thinking wow that's incredible people tell me that you know I've like we were chatting just before about the fear of flying thing people tell me that my videos have helped them get on planes for the first time yeah. and it just blows my mind that my videos online are able to have that impact on people in a real world manner do you know what I mean yeah, yeah I do I think it, well I know that's certainly why your name has come up quite a few times in the Facebook group people say oh yeah I, I watch these videos it normalizes it so what sort of stuff people find that your videos are helping them with aside from just fear of flying was there other stuff i think there's other stuff as well i think for the last few years obviously we had the, the whole thing with the pandemic and everything and the fact that people were able to still watch videos of people traveling and be able to they, they, so many messages I, I didn't know this word before but i've learned it from so many messages we've had in live vicariously through my videos and so many people enjoy watching my videos to be able to just travel and not actually have to travel and I think that sort of leads on nicely to the fear of flying thing as well because I fly so often. I mean, now I take 150, 200 flights a year maybe wow. and things touch wood, I've never had any serious issues on any of the flights I've ever taken. And I think people see that and they're like, wow, if this guy can do this and he's flying this much, then that... And, and that, effectively, that's how my um, brain went initially with this because I fly on some quite unique airlines let's say in different parts of the world and i fly on some airlines that you probably would look at and think I, i'd look at them personally and say i wouldn't send my wife and kids on those airlines so i don't know what other people are thinking but for me on my own i'm like oh this is fun this is an old plane yeah. in africa or something what could go wrong and and that's kind of um how i i see it and i think the fact is that the more i fly the more i look at the numbers and see how many like millions of these flights are going every single day you very rarely hear of anything going wrong with them and that helps me. And then I think the fact that I fly so much has a similar sort of effect on people. This guy's flying 150 times a year on some of the dodgiest airlines around the world. And yet it's still <laughs> absolutely fine at the end of the day. And I think that's what kind of helps people really. And it, yeah, it's nice. So there's a whole bunch of questions at your that is just prompted. So let's just dive in. That's fine. Though, so. <laughs> okay. So then the it's 150 times a year. Yep. That's a lot. I, mean, I can't imagine what the hours are. It's a fair bit. <laughs> so how many, which aircraft would you say are the coolest, the weirdest, the best for you that you've flown on? So for me, I am a bit weird and compared to most people, I like the really dodgy old planes to fly on. I fly, quite, I love going to fly, fly on all the old Russian types, the old Soviet airliners, because mm -hmm. they're built like tanks and they're just really, really cool pieces of history anything that's got that sort of historical link behind it so like anything like soviet or something is always nice they're always yeah. amazing and they're rare as well and the noise that you hear on them that's the thing i like you know you hear the the noise on some of these old planes is just phenomenal i think i i might have a new contender for my new special my special flight because last week 
um, we went to an air show and I got to fly on a Boeing B-29 um, Super Fortress, which is an old World War II plane. It's the plane yeah, that yeah, dropped the um, bombs over like in Japan in World War II. Yeah. This is just incredible, incredible aircraft. And I was still so flying. lucky. Yeah. It's still flying. There's two of them flying here in the States. So I went up to um, Wisconsin because it was Oshkosh Air Show Week. And um, I managed to get a flight in the, in the nose of this plane, in the bombardier position. So you're in like a glass bubble at the nose of the plane. And honestly, that thing is it is the most incredible plane I've ever ridden on, honestly. And, it's, um, and it beats a lot of the old Soviet types as well. It was just so cool to be able to ride on like literally a piece of history. You know, this thing has yeah. seen combat action in World War II. This is just, and it's still flying today. It's crazy. Have you been up in anything sort of World War One era? Those, no, yeah, those, those things. I think yeah, there's a few of them still knocking them out. You can fly in like a Tiger Moth or something still. I've uh, not done anything like that yet. I've been in a de Havilland, um, I think it was a de Havilland Dove I flew in many years ago, and that's literally a canvas plane. You know, it's like, yeah. it's crazy drafty. You can see like, you can see a hole between the, the fuselage and the door. It's like, that's how that one is. But um, yeah, I've been in something like that. I've been in an old World War II, like C 47, DC 3 as well so they're kind of the oldest but yeah this is definitely the, the coolest thing i've ever been in for sure so when you go on like something like a dreamlight or something you're a bit bored like yeah like, if i'm honest yeah i do get a bit like that these days if you get on something that's like brand new like a brand new version of the dreamliner that's just been delivered or something yeah. that's pretty cool you know yeah. and it's nice for a bit but then they just become normal again and it's funny that as you fly, the more you fly the planes that i used to see think were normal i'm now looking at thinking oh i need to go on one of those before they're all gone you know, I'm looking at things like 737, 300s and 400s that, mm. you know, for for so long, they were just the staple of the aviation world. Yeah. They were, I'm not going to fly on one of them. And now you're like, I'm going to get on one of those. I can get on one of those rather than a brand new plane. Let's go and do that, you know. So Noel's criteria is weird, old, with gaps, yeah. weird stuff. And fall into bits. Yeah. A bit like That's me, fantastic. really. So, yeah, just like, like to see myself in the aircraft that I fly on, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, so what about... Have there been any times where you've got an aircraft and thought, oh my God, this, I mean, I know I like it to be weird, but this is scaring the bejesus. I have only once, only once, actually. And to be fair, I think if I'd have been a passenger that didn't know much about aviation, then I would have not had a problem with it. But I, I flew on a plane in Mexico, and um, which is already off to a great start. I mean, I flew from a place called Obregón in um in the Sonora Desert in Mexico. So I drove there and I was like, let's go for a little drive around before my flight. And I'm driving through the desert and getting followed by like a camo truck with all guns in the back and guys stood on the back nice. with guns. Yeah. And then afterwards, people are like, did you really just drive through the Sonora Desert on your own? I'm like, yeah, why? And they're like, it's kind of a bit shooty there. And <laughs> it really is like the Wild West. I was like, ah, okay. So anyway, that was a great start to the um, flight. I got to the airport and it was on an old Cessna caravan. And the airline that I flew with, they'd only got, well, they did have two. They crashed one of them. So they'd only got one left now. And, um, it, the and this doesn't turn you off, by the way. You just. It, a little bit, I think. But I think I'm just sort of looking at it going, ah, it's only happened. They've had one crash. What could go wrong? You know, they're not going to crash a second one, are they? That's really bad luck if that happens. So, yeah, exactly. So um, this Cessna caravan turns up and it's falling to bits. It's stuck together with tape and everything. It's like, um, okay, that's okay. We can live with that. And I sit myself right in the front of the passenger section at the back of where the first officer would sit. So many of the instruments have got stickers over them saying they're in op, they're not working. The autopilot wasn't working. The instruments on the um, co-pilot side weren't working. And this young lad's flying the plane. 
he gets in, he sticks his headphones in. He's, he's not got an actual headset like this. He's just he's just talking through like the microphone and the speaker, which is great for an aviation geek. You can hear everything that's going on. But yeah. and he puts his AirPods in, loads up Spotify on his phone, starts listening to music, and then it's it's WhatsApping his mates on his phone as we're flying. And I can see there's like on the instruments there's a line that they have to follow to go between yeah. one place and another. We're weaving right, we're weaving left, and we every now and then we you see the um you see that we start to descend and we're starting to descend and then he sort of looks up and goes oh crap and then the power comes on and off we go again back up to uh, you know and then the instruments you've got so like instruments just spinning around in the cases because they're all bolty and everything and i was like just honestly get me off this yeah. thing and i think that's one of those cases where having too much knowledge is a little bit dangerous because yeah. i was sat there thinking i just want to jump in the front and take over and actually fly this thing properly but yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> I was lucky. To, I was I was I wasn't lucky yesterday. I was I was happy to get off that plane. Oh, I felt really good at the end of it. I was like, I, honestly, that's the first time I've got off a plane and gone. Yes, I'm still here. I've survived. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's. Uh, I think that would probably give fear of flight to most people. What you just described. Yes, I know. Yeah. So sorry about that. If anybody's listening, that's <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, well, that's a great. One. So, okay. So that's so that's aircraft. What about airlines? What is there any that you think it's a bit dodge or do you think or do you just don't care get on you know i think to be fair i i'm not i don't really care that much i i like flying on the sort of dodgier airlines because i like to see just how funny it is and for me it's, it's just humorous seeing how things work in different countries your, your youtube yeah it's like, looks exactly. like it makes a good it makes a good video as well you see um but um yeah flying like across africa is always fun that's always yeah. You know, they, they just do things, they just make it work in Africa. And whether that means you've got panels missing off the plane and things like that, it, it just all works. And um, I think this this is the thing that, you know, that I think helps a lot of people. Is I, like One of the flights, for example, that I did in Africa was with an airline called Flightlink in Tanzania. And for a start, they wanted a bribe to get on the plane, which was brilliant. Like I checked in and there's like, have you got a gift for me? I was like, do you mean a gift? I thought they recognised me, so I gave him a Noel Phillips sticker. And um, it turned out afterwards in the comments, everyone's like, no, he's asking for a bribe. I was like, oh, I'm very naive. So, um, yeah, I'm sorry. So, anyway, we got on this plane. It's an old Embraer turboprop plane from, like, the 1980s or something. The seats collapsed. Like, you can't sit down on half the seats because they're just falling to bits. There's panels missing on the inside of the plane. There's a whole, there's a huge panel missing in the cockpit door. So, from where you're sitting, you can see the cockpit through the... Nice. Find all those yeah. missing there. It's good, you, you know. know yeah. It's it's just it was honestly the the video stars would be saying this is the biggest heap of junk I've ever flown on, and it, it really is. It still is to this day. But you know what? It worked. We got there. We landed. We were safe, and nothing happened. You know, the crew. You know, they don't want anything to happen either. You know, they 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 fly the plane. They want to be safe, just like all the passengers do. So yes. we we just it just all works, you know, and. And that's the thing that I've really learned from doing this is that as much as airlines have a bad, you know, they might look bad and you might think that looks a little bit dodgy. At the end of the day, it's aviation. It's pretty safe, you know, and it's not very often that things go wrong. And even if you look at whenever there are accidents and stuff, the, the amount of times where it's all when it's down to mechanical failure or anything like that is minimal. You know, nine times out of 10, there's other factors involved in that. Yeah. And it just sort of proves to me flying on some of these airlines just proves to me just how safe aviation is you know that's a great line straight away there. so if you if you have sort of so if, if you're telling those stories you don't at any point seem scared and i wonder has anything happened where you thought 
or they have to really show their skills there. Or was, or was every flight of these 150 a year just been like, yeah, no problem? You know what? I mean, it's sad to say, but it is. It's pretty boring, really, if you think about it. Nothing really exciting happens. If anything does, anything funny does happen, it's generally on the ground at the airport with, like, I don't know, flying in Indonesia and they left one of the doors open so all the passengers decided to walk out onto the active apron at the airport and stuff. That sort of thing happens. Like That's quite yeah. a common. But when yeah. it comes to the actual flying itself, you know, the thing for me that I always, is always my first impression of a plane is when you get on and you're taxiing out to the runway and you see what the crew are doing and are they coming around making sure that your seatbelts are fastened and that your tray tables are stowed. Well, you know, the general stuff that they do on any other flight. Yeah. I had a couple of flights where that's not happened, and I'm like, okay, that's when you start to think this is perhaps, you know, a little bit more sketchy, let's just say. But if, you know, it doesn't, doesn't very often happen, and even on some of the most quote-unquote dodgy airlines that I've flown on, they still come around and check things like that. They still come around and make sure your seatbelt's fastened. They make sure that you, you know, you've not got bags in the in the aisle and things like that. And for me, that's the mark of an airline being safe, and that happens you know, I've only ever had that like once or twice where that's not happened. And that shows you really what was it, where we're sort of coming from with that. Yeah. So with the range of flights that you've done, it sort of gives the, well, quite right impression that there's, these are international standards, aren't they? That you, you're observing all the weirdest and wonderful places you go to. Yeah, absolutely. Even, even on dodgy little airlines in Africa and Kazakhstan and, you know, places like that and across Asia and stuff like that. The safety standards are still there and okay yeah. that, i know it's only a face and you don't know what's going on behind the scenes of these airlines clearly but it's pretty safe i went you know i went to um pakistan earlier on this year and obviously pakistan as you might know they had quite a bad um, accident there a couple of years ago and a plane basically didn't didn't have the landing gear down for landing and it, it it wasn't very good at all for Pakistan and it exposed the whole issue with Pakistan's aviation industry and the licensing standards and things like that. And yeah. an outsider might look at that as I did at the time. You're like, oh, this is really dodgy. I wouldn't want to go there. And I actually went to Pakistan with a view of let's go see just how dodgy it is. You know, let's go and yeah, you can make some videos. And I was really lucky because I got to fly on one of the flights I did with the in, in the flight deck itself. They let me in the flight deck, which some people might say, well, that's that's a bit dodgy anyway. But this this doesn't just happen in Pakistan. This happens in all places all around the world, um, and it's, that's not anything that I I would be concerned about. But I ended up in the flight deck, and the guy that was the captain on the flight was the head of um, I think he was the head of training or something for PIA. And I was chatting to him about what's happened since the accident, and you know what? Those guys have literally start, started from fresh and reevaluated every single safety thing that's going on in Pakistan. This has caused such a big issue for Pakistan. Um, you know, around the world and their reputation, their entire aviation industry is resting on the outcome of what happens here. They've got auditors going in regularly. They are literally, every procedure is down to the book to the point where we were on final approach at Islamabad and they've got a new procedure where the tower clear, um, confirm with the pilot that the landing gear's down before they land. You know, that's what they do at military airports around the world. Civilian, you don't necessarily see that. But these are new procedures that they've got in place and they've, they've literally just jumped straight off the bat to try and fix all of this and they are trying hard they really are trying hard to make things better for them you know for the industry there and i think that you know that does show that even when things like this happen it, it sort of comes as a bit of a shock and they're like okay let's let's fix this and let's move forward and let's make it safer for everybody you know yeah well we, that just really underlines the principle one of the things we always talk about is that 
accidents don't repeat because they always investigate uh, and learn yes. so that you don't get, because it's never one thing. It's always, a, like you said earlier on, it's always a, a bunch of things that happen to coincide yeah. and any break in that chain stops that. Yeah, that, so it, and, and it's when they don't look at fixing things like that, that's when you have the problem. But they always do, you know, and it, yeah, you're right. So you might be a pilot. I don't know. So I don't really know, but you are a pilot. So I just yeah, have you ever pilot. thought about uh, ever being a commercial pilot? What stopped you doing that? Is this is it? Do you like sort of letting someone else drive you around? Yeah, I do a bit. If I'm honest, <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> yeah, I always say to my wife when I'm driving, like you, you drive. I'd just rather be a passenger than a, a driver, you know. But um, but you know, in terms of my flying, so I have my PPL. Um, I'm working on my instrument rating at the minute. I don't really want to look at. I don't want a job in the airlines. That's not my plan, really. I want to carry on doing what I'm doing because I, I enjoy what I do. You know, this is yeah. more fun for me. Yeah. Um, but I am doing my instrument rating. But on, on that aspect, I'm very sort of lucky in a way that, that I've got the time to be able to do this because this is my job so I can fly alongside this. And I'm just looking at ways constantly of where I go next with my training and stuff like that. I want to keep learning and keep getting better as and more proficient as a pilot. So I'm doing my instrument rating at the moment. That's hopefully going to be in the next few months when I've got that. Then my plan is, I think, to go commercial and get my commercial license, but not from the, not from a point of view of wanting to go fly for an airline. It's going to help my skills, I think, to have a commercial license. It's going to allow me to make money from a flying as well, which I can't do at the minute. So that's, yeah. you know, I could potentially do stuff down that lines. And, you know, if YouTube ever does go belly up in the future and, you know, I need to go and get a real job, as people keep telling me to do, then, you know, I've got an option there to go and start working commercially on flying and stay in aviation as well. So that's where I'm at in the minute. Well, you do have a real job. I mean, you <laughs> entertain millions, don't you? You're helping people. So which you've kind of hinted something. So I'm, I'm curious, like, what do you do next? You know, because this, this passion of yours seems to be never ending there's always new places yeah. to find but where next the Noel Phillips you know I don't really know and I think and I suppose that's the scary thing at the minute I'm still on this wild ride of just making videos and flying planes and getting on you know flying around the world making videos for people I know that's not going to last forever and I don't really know where I'm going to go after I've done with this I don't see and I don't see this ending anytime soon you know just gonna, as long as I can I'm just going to carry on going out there making more crazy content and you know, maybe as the channel grows, get better content and I might get more access behind the scenes at different airlines and things like that. You know, we might go down that route. But ultimately, who knows at the minute? We're still in this phase of just, I'm just considering myself lucky to be here with what I'm doing, you know. And um, who knows where it's going to lead really in the future. I'm as excited as everybody else because I don't know either. So, No, no. I'm, I thought I'll ask you this because you've travelled around a lot. Yeah. Who's been the most interesting person you've ever spoken to or the most curious or the weirdest? Because you must... So a friend of mine who's listened to this podcast as well, works with me, a guy called John, and he always he says about travel that, you know, you're going to get stories. When you travel, you get stories. You end up sitting next to some crazy person or something really interesting or just something amazing happens. And I thought, God, you must have accumulated thousands of those. You know, I don't, I don't really know. If I'm honest. I, I'm telling that bit out. That was a crap question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> no, I just, I don't tend to. I don't know really. I'm, I'm just trying to wrap my brains, and I can't think. Maybe you or everybody else's really. story. Do you know why it's happening? Yeah, maybe I bet this really weird guy who's been out and he flies around the world and makes videos and stuff. So, 
maybe. But yeah, I, I don't really know of anything particularly. Yeah, sorry. That's all right. No, that's okay. That's fine. You you are probably the, the interesting story for people. <laughs> the question I always ask at the end of these podcasts, and, and I think it's going to be really interesting for you, is like the nervous flyers list and the amount of hours that you do, what, what are your kind of tips or things for them that they could think about that might help ease them a little? The thing for me, I think, whenever I'm more uncomfortable in a situation like this, is learn as much as possible. This is what's got me into aviation in the first place, really, because I was initially when I first, when I was 11 years old, I went on my first flight. I was actually quite scared. I'd never been on a plane before. Mm -hmm. And my way of dealing with that was to learn as much as possible. And that's what turned me into an aviation geek because I learned about how procedures work and how airplanes fly and all the rest of it. And learning about it, for me, is what's is what's normalized it for me you know so i just literally went to, i mean i ended up getting my ppl in the end i learned that much i ended up going out and learning to get my pilot's license um and that's that's kind of where i went from there so yeah learn as much as you can about aviation and how planes fly watch videos and i'm not just like my videos watch proper videos you know like pilots flying planes and things like that they're the ones you want to watch and see just how normalized these things are and okay it's it's a lot to take in it's a lot to sort of put your head around but i think the more you can sort of normalize that as we said earlier yeah. the more you start thinking well you know what all of these planes fly all around the world every single day millions of planes yeah and you very very rarely does anything ever happen to any of those aircraft. even if it does it's usually like an emergency landing or something like that or you know and it, everything even then even if you end up in being in that sort of situation with an emergency landing, nine times out of ten, it's all okay. It's just completely normal procedures, you know? And I think that's the thing, really normalize it in in your head and just, you know, watch watch as much as you can, learn as much as you can. And in the end, you sort of get to the point where you understand what's going on. Get a window seat, that's the other thing, so you can actually see what's going on outside. The worst thing for me, even now... I hate being on an aisle seat because I can't control and I can just feel the plane moving and it's not, you know, in my head, it's not normal. If I can sit outside, I'm going to sit on the, sit outside, that's going to be a bit chilly, but if you sit on the window seat, you can actually see outside and see what's going on. You can see what's going on. You can see when the plane starts to bank. You can see when the flaps start coming down and you feel the aircraft slow down and stuff. And, and that that helps as well. So I, I, I like the window seat, but I'd like the whole aisle. And I, I have to go to the loo about eight. Well, yeah, I'm the same. Yeah, this is the problem with me as well. I end up getting window seats. Every time I film, I get a window seat because obviously I'm trying to film the plate, the flight. If I can't actually see out the window, it doesn't make a very good video. So I always try to get the window seat when I'm flying. But it does mean that, if, especially if you're in economy and you've got two people at the side of you, you're like, I can't even get out to the bathroom. This is really uncomfortable. So if I'm not actually filming, like this last week has been amazing for me because we went up to Wisconsin and my wife had the window on every flight and I was just like, that's great, I can stretch my legs out, I can go yeah. to the bathroom, I can just stand up and get stuff out of the overhead bin and stuff. <laughs> you really go for it when you travel, don't you? <laughs> well, I'm the same, I, I just love being in the I, I'm really annoying and I just have to get up and move about and stuff, so I appreciate that. Yeah, I do take the point, when you need the window, you can actually then calibrate bit more accurately can't it exactly it's like it's like being in yeah it's like being in a car and driving like imagine if you're in a car imagine if you've been locked in the boot of a car for example and you all you can do is feel where the car's moving 
versus when you're sitting in the front seat and you can see there's a car slowing down ahead so you're going to brake and you can anticipate what you're going to be doing next and that's yeah that's, that's a kind of a worrying metaphor if you don't mind me saying <laughs> Yeah, I don't have experience with that. Yeah. <laughs> Edit this well or you'll know what's happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was fantastic. That was really positive. And I think that people who follow you in the group already, you'll probably get some more as well now. They just love your stuff. So keep doing what you do because it, it massively helps. Anyone has fear of flying. I know you've got a lot of followers who aren't nervous flyers, but I think there is there is a, a growing number that like just watching you because you just normalize it. You're not bothered by who you fly with, when you fly, day, night, or anything. It's a, and I love that attitude because it's not, because you've just put it into that place where you know, well, you know, it's safe. Safe, yeah. safe. You know, you know, it's not, you know, it's not exactly. clear. Exactly. And that's how it is for me. So hopefully people can see that and see how comfortable I am. And, you know, if, if I'm nervous, you can tell on camera, it doesn't happen that often, you know, and if it, even if it does, it is soon, that nervousness is soon quashed because you realize that it's actually all okay anyway. And yeah. Uh, that was awesome. Thank you so much for your time and your stories, and your positivity. No problem. You know, so keep yeah. doing what you're doing. It's absolutely amazing. Thank you. You're more than welcome. Thanks a lot, Paul. Yeah. Nice to meet you. Thank you for listening to the Love Fly podcast. I hope you found it useful. Now, as always, if you need any extra help, please join our Love Fly Facebook group. You can also follow us on Instagram at Love Fly Help. And also, if you go to our website, which is lovefly.co.uk forward slash shop, you can see other ways that you can get some help. Thanks for listening.